Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, trucks, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show with Steve Zaki, Dennis Michelson, and Laurie Monroe from Racetalkradio.com. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Driven by the Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association. Now, Final Inspection on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Here's Steve Zaki. And welcome to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin, along with our friends at the Milwaukee Area and Apple Auto Care Centers. They can be found on the web at milwcar.com. And boy, it is getting busy in the racing season. Jeff Orlowski, of course, producing, doing all sorts of stuff, adding stuff at the, towards uh, right at the, as we're going on the air here. We're going to have a really fun show today. Uh, we got coming. We're going to talk a little bit of the world of NASCAR, me and Jeff here, and then we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll talk to John Close. And a, a lot of a lot of you may remember John. Uh, he's a Wisconsin native and did a lot with uh, short track racing, worked for Midwest Racing News. He's done a lot of stuff in the media side of things, worked for Rich Bickle, and just one of these guys he's been uh, up on top of the stands as a spotter in NASCAR racing. And uh, I always kind of respect his, his uh, what his opinions are in the world of NASCAR. And he did a couple postings on Facebook today or this week, and I'm like, we got to have John in the show. I want to kind of dive into what he was talking about on Facebook this week. And it, it should be pretty interesting uh, talking to John and getting his opinion on things and what's happening in the world of NASCAR and uh should be a lot of fun. And then we also have uh, Tony DeZino. It's going to be coming on the show. We'll talk to him. Uh, it's, of course, the opener in St. Pete. And let's not forget Dennis Michelson and Laurie Monroe will have their opinions and whatnot in the world of NASCAR coming up at the bottom of the hour. And then we'll have Ray Everham's going to be on the show. We're kind of excited to have Ray on. Ray, it's always a good interview. Eddie Lapine is down at the Amelia Island Concourse. That's just uh, north of Jacksonville. It's kind of like all the, a lot of the movers and shakers in the world of motorsports are down there. It's one of those uh, events you should do at least once. Uh, we were down there a couple of years ago, and it was a lot of fun. And he talked to Ray Everham, of course, who brought Jeff Gordon so much success in the world of NASCAR. And uh, is doing a lot of neat stuff on uh, TV now on the Velocity Channel and whatnot. So we'll talk to Ray Everham coming up here at about one thirty-five, And then also... Derek Bell, one of the great drivers in the world of endurance racing, who drove for uh, Ferrari and Formula One and whatnot, just a, just a, been driving for many many year, many years, and always has a lot of great stories. He's one of those guys when you if if you ever have a chance to talk to him, he's just he's done so much in the world of racing, and he's a really really good interview, and uh, it should be a lot of fun listening to what Eddie and Derek uh, chatted about, and of course Ray Abraham too. 
But this week, Jeff, we are at Las Vegas, and it should be an interesting race. Uh, a lot of things, a lot of things that are kind of percolating up. I, mean, I think one of the surprises uh, so far this year is uh, you know Ford has won the first two races, and we were expecting an uptick from them, but maybe not as quick as it has. I mean, they won the first two races of the year. They won the Clash. They've won. They've led 389 of the 525 laps so far this year. Toyota's only led 20. I mean, Toyota was so dominant last year, yeah. and they were on their way to winning the championship, and you're thinking, they got this thing locked up. I mean, Truex was looking good. All the Gibbs cars was looking good. And then boom, we're like, what? Jimmy Johnson just won the championship again? I mean, if you're Toyota, you got to be like, okay, we're, we're, we're loaded for bear. Now we're really PO'd. We got to win the championship. They've been in the in the division now for for how many years? Ten years or something? They, you know, I mean, this is they're they're spending a lot of money and they're not getting the results they want, are they? No, no, they're not so far. And like you said, last season was a perfect opportunity. They had all the momentum going in. They had everything going their way. Dominant teams, and they didn't get it done. Uh, you know, and like you said uh, earlier, it is surprising how. How much Ford is dominating so far? You have uh, you have Keselowski back on the pole this week again. Um, you know you wonder what team is going to step up and, and try to give Ford a run for their money. So far, no one's uh, no one's stepping up. So we'll see, we'll see. You know Chevy, they've got they've got some guys obviously, and you know I don't know if it's going to be Hendrick or if it'll be Gibbs. Or, that that finally knocks Ford off the throne, but uh, or maybe it could be a Ford year. I mean, it hasn't been a Ford year since what two thousand three was the last time they won the manufacturers championship when uh, Roush was running so you know well. I think that's when uh, Kurt Busch won his first championship. But I mean, if you look at what I mean, it makes sense now. Everybody was kind of surprised when Stuart Haas was moving to Ford, but the more and more you thought about it, it made sense. Because Roush is not what it what it used to be. There's right. kind of a power vacuum there. Jack is getting up there in years. They're starting to slip, and there's nobody really taking that organization over. Like with Penske, you got Tim Sendrick, and you, there's a there's a procession of power. I mean, Roger Penske's 80, and he could run circles around both of us. <laughs> this is a guy who's. Pretty much all his life has only got about five hours of sleep, mm-hmm. and I was able to spend some time with uh, George Fulmer, a uh, driver who drove for Roger Penske off and on for 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 years in the '60s and '70s. And we were chatting. He goes, he goes, when I first drove for Roger, and this is I want to say about 1967, 68. Roger was not the same person he is now, but he was still he had owned a Chevrolet dealership at that time. He was probably only in his mid 30s. And but you could see this is a guy who there's something special. He retired from driving because this is a guy who was a darn good driver and had a lot of offers on the sheet. But at the age of 28, I think uh, he had a was in position to purchase a dealership, Chevrolet dealership, before the age of 30. I mean, just think of that. And, and Chevrolet said, "Okay, yeah, we'll do it." But you know what? No more driving. And Roger said, "Well, you know what? I want to be a businessman first, I guess, and then I can." I can still be in, in racing in other, you know, on, in uh, other ways. And that's what he's done. But, you know, George is saying, you know, I, I got up at, at 630 
And he was already downstairs. He'd cook his breakfast and was already reading the newspapers and finding out what was going on. And he's, you know, George is like thinking, yeah, I thought I was an early riser, but, you know, Roger's already ready to hit the door running, you know. And that's the way he's always been. You know, it's just fascinating with that organization. So, you know, Ford doesn't have an issue there. And Tim Sendrick, Indianapolis natives, raised in the sport, and, and he's he's right there with them. And we know if something would happen to Roger, Tim Sendrick's taking over the, the organization. With Roush, eh, you know, there's been it, – it's not what it was, well, back in 2003. So it made sense for Ford to say, we need somebody else. So you got Stuart Haas, who's always going to be second fiddle because – of Hendrick, right? You know, and they got a lot of help from Hendrick. However, since they've came into NASCAR and aligned themselves with Hendrick, what's happened? They've added a Formula One team. What? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not not an easy task. So for them, they had the engineering, you know, the 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 powers to be in Dearborn. Ford's like, you know what? We need somebody like a Hendrick, and I think they see something with with Stuart Haas, what they can be. And uh, certainly with, with the name, Tony Stewart, what he's able to do, bring in sponsors and whatnot. But Gene Haas is the guy. And and it took him many, many years. I mean, when he first came into NASCAR, it, he, he struggled. And, he you know, when, when, when Stewart Haas decided – or when Tony decided to go over to June, uh, Gene Haas, everybody was like, why? But he was able to – there was a guy who had the resources but just didn't know how to get the results on the track. And Tony did that. It, it's a perfect relationship, and we're seeing the dividends today. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I still consider Stuart Haas a, a three-car team just because uh, right. I don't give Danica any credit. Oh, come on now. <laughs> so, you know, for them to sit there, and you know that Ford just threw a ton of funding at Stuart Haas to, to make sure that they didn't struggle coming out of the gate, switching manufacturers, making their own chassis, stuff like that that they weren't doing with Chevrolet. Um, and obviously it's paying off dividends. You it know, certainly has. Straight off the bat. Well, let's, let's go uh, take a break right now. When we come back, we'll talk to John Close and uh, get the latest and get maybe a little. Well, I want to talk about what, what's happening in NASCAR now and some of the changes and whatnot. There's been some trial balloons that have been set up. But also I want to uh, talk about uh, Matt Kenseth because Matt uh, John Close was one of the first guys to notice that, that talented kid from uh you know from cambridge hey th- this kid can can go some places and he was one of the first guys on that bandwagon so we'll, we'll talk to john close uh after the break you're listening to the final inspection show on the fan And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at the Milwaukee Area and Apple Auto Care Centers. Joining me on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline is John Close, author of 1001 NASCAR Facts, Cars, Tracks, Milestones, and Personalities. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, Steve. How's it going today, bud? It's cold up here. It was we, We've had a warmer February than March. Yeah, my my brother still lives in Wisconsin. He lives up in Wausau, so I I keep pretty close tabs on your weather. And you know, he's telling me he's freezing, and I'm sitting out in the backyard, and it's sixty five, seventy in Charlotte. I, 
I kind of feel sorry for him, but well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're we're you're you're one of three people we're having on the show today, and they're all going to be either North Carolina or Florida. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe we should have taken this uh, show on the road this week. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I actually had a chance to go to St. Petersburg this weekend, and uh, it almost happened, but then plans changed early in the week. And uh, anytime you can go to Florida in February, March, it's a good call. You betcha. And uh, I, I, I'm i cruising on Facebook. I think it was Monday or Tuesday. And, you know, and we, we do the same thing up here. We get a, couple, you know, a bunch of racing guys together, go out for breakfast or lunch or whatever, and talk about stuff. And it's always interesting because uh you know uh, some of the guys are, are really hooked into the sport especially you know with with you and your friends down in in the Charlotte area and one of the things that really caught my eyes is, is some of the rumors that are coming in through NASCAR and some of them i mean if you would have suggested this 10 15 years ago you know people would have thought that you know you've lost your mind but i mean the the idea of Charlotte having a road course race you know, at their track and, 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 and more road course racing, you know, especially like at the brickyard and that, it just kind of blows my mind. I just wanted to kind of get your opinion and what, what's, what's kind of the scuttlebutt going on in the Charlotte area. Well, we, we got together on Monday for breakfast and, uh, our group had a, a pretty pointed conversation after the Atlanta race, because, you know, let's face it, that was not exactly the most, uh, spine tingling edge of your seat event. And, um, you know, there was there was discussion as to uh, why perhaps, you know, NASCAR would continue to go back there. And, and needless to say, uh, you know, Speedway Motorsports is is definitely planning on, on going back there. They're going to do the repave of the racetrack, and that's a, that's a huge financial uh, investment in that facility. And, and, you know, Atlanta in general has always been a market that NASCAR has always wanted to be in. Um, probably wanted to own, but was just never able to do it. It's the tracks always schedule uh, struggled there with attendance. And now the racing hasn't been that great there in recent years, they lost an event. Um, and so naturally the, the conversation changed to, you know, well, what would happen if that date would go away? Well, you know, it's not going to go away, but you know, let's face it. Um, NASCAR, its parent company, um, you know, international speedway corporation, is the major player now at Road Atlanta. And, you know, you could see perhaps someday that race in Atlanta going away for uh, a race at, at Road Atlanta. And so that kind of, again, made the conversation bump the needle a little farther. And we started talking about road course racing in general and how, you know, fans have really taken to it in recent years. You know, like you said, it, it would have been sacrilege 10, 15 years ago to suggest taking an oval off the NASCAR schedule for an additional road course race. But times have changed and, and people have, have embraced road course racing more. And, and some of the road course races that we have now at Sonoma and, and Watkins Glen, heck, they, as I mentioned in my comment, they resemble Bristol more than Bristol does these days. You know, they're, they're action packed events. And I, I think that's why the people are leaning to them more. So, we went on this long conversation about, okay, well, where would you add races? And, um, you know, you could always add another one to Sonoma. You could add the one at road Atlanta. Um, Indy, I think, you know, a lot of people over the years have, have become a little disenchanted with the Brickyard 400, not because it's not a great event, but 
you know, in all honesty, right now NASCAR stock cars do not really put on a great show at, at that track. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, to put the to preserve being in Indiana in, in Indianapolis at the Speedway there uh, on the you know that date is really important for NASCAR. Preserve it by trying something on the road course. Um, you know why not? And then of course here Charlotte. Um, they did a test last uh, last fall with AJ Allmendinger on the Charlotte Road Course here, and it, all indications are that the fall event next year here in Charlotte uh, will be a road course race. Um, so you know we're kind of moving the needle in a different direction. Like you said, um, you know it's it, it's something that we wouldn't have considered years ago, but you know the sport is continually evolving, trying to hit the moving target that is mm-hmm. what the fans want. So, um, you know, it made for some lively conversation, that's for sure. We're talking to John Close, former writer for Midwest Racing News on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. John, it's too late to change it back now, but was was it a mistake reconfiguring Atlanta? Um, You know, I, I just, again, the Atlanta market is, from the time that they built that track, um, mm-hmm. Has, it's always struggled. It's not really in a great place uh, down there south of Atlanta. It's it you know it's never really drawn well. I personally loved the old track. Anybody who remembers the old Atlanta, old, oh, yeah. I mean that was a bad bad fast place, and the racing was there. If if there was any let's say negative to changing it to a mile and a half, it's just that there are too many mile and exactly. a half on the yeah. on, on the schedule already. You know, it made a lot of sense for Speedway Motorsports to kick out a bunch of cookie-cutter racetracks because, you know, they had a lot of the design plans and, and, you know, things from the other ones. But at the end of the day, when you have Charlotte and Texas and Vegas and, and you know, uh, Atlanta and a lot of – and you have two events at each one of them, um, there's a lot of sameness. That's a third – over a third of the schedule, you know, just at those raceways that feature on a mile and a half. And uh, – you know, conversely, a lot of those places took dates away from smaller racetracks, which people seem to love. Uh, you know, the first thing that you always hear uh, when you have a conversation about reconfiguring the NASCAR schedule is let's have not necessarily more road course races, but let's have more short track races. So our our thinking was, Steve, that, you know, given that the road course races these days are, are bang up affairs like short track races, why not? You know, why not have more of those? I think it's more representative of what people want and more what the sport should be. Yeah, it is a good point. I mean, it's, you know, people people bring up North Wilkesboro, but unfortunately, you know, unfortunately that track is not coming back. And oh, it, it's not. You know, it, it, I, everybody loved it. I mean, that was probably one of the best tracks that, that was, I mean, that was the roots. That was the, I mean, you could really see the roots and everything of, of NASCAR with that track. Sure. I mean, you know, some of the earliest races, even before the formation of NASCAR in 47, you know, were moonshiner types out there at North Wilkesboro running in, in what they used to call the holler, you mm-hmm. know, down in the holler. And, uh, you know, so needless to say, there was a lot of history there. I kind of chuckled this week. Uh, a lot of people were lamenting the fact that, you know, one of the things that did happen is they announced that Las Vegas is going to have two events next year. And they were going to take that one date from New Hampshire. Well, a lot of people were upset that New Hampshire was losing a race. Well, let's remember that New Hampshire got a second race because they took it from North Wilkesboro. Yeah. 
so uh, you know, so that was kind of a chuckle. But but again, you know, that move just put another mile and a half on on the schedule. Um, you know, the SMI had a pretty good week if you consider that they. You know, I think they're going to do the road course event at Charlotte, and they got an extra date at Vegas. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how the 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 schedule shakes out next year. But um, you know, gosh, Steve, they're changing everything else other than the numbers on the cars. <laughs> and uh, um, in writing this new book, that's one of the things that I really discovered more than anything is that you know, two things about NASCAR: they're they're going to make changes. They've always done it. Um, you know, everybody who's upset with the point system this year, uh, back in, in say, well, we won it back in the day. Well, in, in the early seventies, they had five different point systems in eight different years, you know, so they've, they've always changed it. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, is if they change it, and it doesn't work. They're going to change it again. So, um, you know, it, as long as the cars still sound good, look good, um, and, and race close together. I think people are going to come regardless of what kind of system or where, where they race at, but it's a, it's a challenge to stay relative and current today in, in a market that obviously, you know, is significantly different than what it used to be. Right. Uh, what, what was your opinion on the mufflers on the race cars? Cause I mean, there's a part of me that can, <laughs> that, I mean, I remember my, my first race at the Milwaukee mile, I was very young and they were still running Hemi's and yep. for a, for a kid, as young as I was, it was not very enjoyable. I mean, granted now, you know, of course, but my mom said I was terrible. I, I was, I, I complained the whole time cause it was so loud and whatnot. So, I mean, I, I mean, from personally, you know, I can understand it, but if you're, I, I guess people are thinking, from a 50 year old guy who's lost maybe 20% of his hearing, he's going, Hey, yeah, it's great. But if you're the 20, that, that, that demographic, that 18 to 34 year old, are, do they think the, you know, the stock cars are too loud? That's the question. I guess. Well, you know, uh, th- there's several points here, Steve. I mean, first of all, racing's loud. It is what it is. I think, I think that's one of the things that attracts people. My wife, Gail, when we, the first time I took her to a racetrack, we were outside having a little tailgate and, and she didn't see the cars, but could hear them. And she just had, you know, screw this. Let's go inside. I got to see them because mm-hmm. they sounded so great. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to get in this great big overreaction about how we got to change everything because, well, the millennials can't sit there and talk or look at their phones while, while they're, you know, at a stock car race, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't baseball. It's not a social kind of thing like baseball where you go to a game and chat, you know, racing's loud and, and colorful and smelly to a degree. And those for people who love racing, those are the attractions. As far as putting mufflers on the cars, this is nothing new. I remember as far back in 1996, when I was with Richard Petty's truck team and we went to Bakersfield and they built a school not too far from the old uh, Bakersfield track, you know, and and so in an effort to try and keep the the decibels down, we were doing stuff like you know stuffing steel wool in the in the uh-huh. exhaust pipes to muffle the sound, and, and you know uh, the compression would shoot these big balls of steel wool out onto the racetrack. It's pretty <laughs> funny, you know, and and I just you know. I guess, you know, I'm going to say in this, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but racing's not for everybody, you know? 
and and if it's too loud for you and you don't want to go, well, then it's too loud for you. Um, it's just the same reason that you know some people don't go to baseball because it's supposedly slow and laborious. You know, it's not just for everybody. So I, I think you would do more harm by trying to change the tenor of the cars with people who are really race fans than you would draw new fans because, well, now it's not as loud and I can sit there and have a conversation with my friend. Well, I, I have to ask you this. You, you, you of course, worked with Richard Petty and, of course, Richie Bickle, and both are great racing personalities. You get you, you got to give us either a good uh, Richard Petty or Richie Bickle story for our listeners. Well, half the Bickle stories I can't really tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess the, just the best thing I can say about Richard Petty is, you know, I, Steve, I was so fortunate to, first of all, have a career in Wisconsin racing, which, you know, if it never, ever changed, if, if for the last 25 years, if I had stayed in Wisconsin and just beat the short tracks in a mile like we used to, man, that'd be great. I'd have been the luckiest guy in the world, but to be able to come down here and have this kind of career down here and, you know, not only be involved in the sport as a writer, but, you know, I spotted over 150 races and just had worked for so many great people, Rick Hendrick and a lot of other people. But the thing about Richard that I can say is he was by far the best guy I ever worked for. He, he gave you a job and then you just went and did it. And every, so every, you know, I was kind of the de facto team manager there as well as the, the publicist. And about every two weeks he'd come into my office and, you know, it was almost surreal. Here's Richard Petty sitting across the desk from me in the, the hat and the sunglasses and plug a chaw and a bottle of sun drop to spit it into. And we'd sit there for 45 minutes and talk about racing and off he'd go. And, and, you know, that'd be it. Um, you know, he's Richard Petty. He was so busy being Richard Petty that he couldn't micromanage me on a day-to-day basis mm. or anybody else who worked for him. So, you know, just the greatest fellow. I mean, what you see is what you get. Um, if anybody could obviously have a big head over their achievements in racing, he would be the guy. And uh, he certainly hasn't hasn't ever done that. You know, I've, uh, I would do some autograph deals with him uh where we would go and he he would spend like six, seven, eight hours just greeting everybody and nobody was ever left behind. And and so um, that's that's my, you know, if I ever wanted to convey anything about Richard, I'd say that. You mm-hmm. know, he's just the, the finest person and one of the most generous people that I've ever con- came in contact with in my life, much less in racing. I And I, I plugged this before, so we got to bring it up here. We're running up against a break, though, but... Uh, you, you, you ran a, a copy of the, which I think is the first column or, or real in-depth story on Matt Kenseth and, and yeah. to, to tell, to tell us about that with, with the, the Cambridge flash. Well, you know, um, I was, uh, two things. First of all, I was the sports editor at the daily union in Fort Atkinson, um, during that time. And, and, you know, Matt lived like five miles away in Cambridge, but I was also doing publicity for Columbus 151 Speedway. And I knew Matt, you know, his, his dad, Roy bought a car and was racing it. So basically, so Matt could learn it. Matt wanted to race and he, and Roy said, okay, well, you're going to learn how to work on one and what it is and how to respect it. So for three years from 13 to 16, I knew Matt just as a kid in the pits, you know, working on the cars. 
so when he first started racing, Columbus was was one of the places, and he it was amazing. The first night out, he was better, faster, smoother than guys who I had seen race there ten years. You know, so six weeks into the deal, um, he wins his first feature, and I penned a, a column for Midwest Racing News at that time, uh, which I'm I'm pretty confident was the first ever piece that anybody wrote about him and i i like to tell people that i discovered matt you know because he was he was phenomenal he was really good and i even the, the irony of the piece is that um i suggested that the last time i had seen anybody with that a kid with that much natural talent it was mark martin and that you know I'm, i wasn't suggesting that he'd someday grow up to be mark martin and be in nascar but you know, he had that kind of ability. Well, as it turns out, Mark turned out to be his, his benefactor, got him into Roush, mentored him. Today, the person that most people, you know, compare Matt to is Mark. And, uh, of course, you know, Matt's record speaks for itself. You know, he went on and had a, a, a has had an amazing career and will continue to do so. But, uh, you know, I was in the right place at the right time when this amazingly talented kid came along and, uh, one of my career highlights, that same piece, Steve, when Matt had his museum over in Cambridge, he had a shadow box with his first uniform in it, and right next to it in that shadow box was that story. Oh, there we go. So, Excellent. Uh, you know, Matt's been like family to us uh, for a long time, and uh, I actually texted back and forth with him yesterday on his birthday, and uh, it's pretty cool. You know, he, like I said, he, I'm really proud of the career he's had, but you know, he stayed true. He's, he's still a Scotty, you know, he's a good family <laughs> man and a great guy. And, and a uh, Packer fan. And a Packer fan. Heck yeah. So, not, not, not some of those guys from Wisconsin that are bear fans. Man, it's hard being a bear fan, you know, <laughs> it really is. But I cheer for the Packers a lot. I got a really good bud who works for the team who is also really gracious enough to give me tickets when I want to go. And, uh, so, I, you know, and having covered the Packers for years as a sports writer, you know, they're, they're they're my second let's say this they're my second favorite okay very good and and <laughs> and and your book coming out in may yeah i uh, got a really great opportunity to write a book that's part of a series of from car tech books uh it's a 1001 fact series there's already a uh a thousand and one uh you know muscle car facts by steve magnanti's you know the guy that's the major guru I'm he is Jackson. he is sharp he, he that yeah, guy knows his stuff totally sharp yeah, he does. So he wrote a muscle car book. There's a Harley book, a Mustang book, uh, a drag racing book. So they wanted to do a thousand and one NASCAR facts, and they were they were gracious enough to call me and ask me to write it. So it took almost a year to write. Uh, it's a little over 400 pages, 125 photos, some really great stuff. You break it out by decade, and uh, it's all in in reader friendly factoid you know, kind of format. So you can read a little bit of it at a time. You don't have to invest a lot of time in it. And, uh, it's getting printed right now and we'll, uh, we'll launch it. It'll debut as part of the all-star weekend here in Charlotte in May. So that's when it'll be out. It'll be available on Amazon and the car tech book site and, and, uh, find bookstores near you. Excellent. You know? <laughs> well, I appreciate yeah. it. And, uh, we look forward to chatting with you again, Steve, always a pleasure. And, and just, uh, FYI, I really, really appreciate all the great stuff you do for Wisconsin racing, the photos that you post oh, thank you. on your Facebook site. Uh, you know, that 
somebody who has their heart in Wisconsin racing sure appreciates that stuff. And I just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate your efforts. Well, thanks, John. I really appreciate that. It's John Close. You uh, make sure you look at, you can, and you, his book is actually on amazon.com. You can pre-order it. 1001 NASCAR facts, cars, tracks, and milestones and personalities. It looks like a good book. Should be a lot of fun. John, thanks for joining us. And uh, coming up next, we'll talk to Dennis Michelson and Laurie Monroe who will expand more on the world of NASCAR coming up on The Fan. Welcome back to the final inspection, 105.7 FM, The Fan. I got to tell you, folks, two weeks of NASCAR racing in the books. This is Dennis Michelson, Laurie Monroe from Racetalkradio.com bringing you your NASCAR fix on the final inspection. And after two weeks, folks, I have a pressing question for Miss Lori Monroe. Oh, and what's your pressing question? Lori, what the heck makes a good race nowadays? I'm I'm at a loss. I'm, we're two weeks in, and I'm not a very happy NASCAR fan right now. You know what makes a good race? Obviously, Ford's right now. Oh, my goodness. Two for two, two for two, two, and it's just beginning. It's just beginning. Well, I'm having a hard time figuring stuff out here because I look at the penalties that were handed down this weekend and also the penalties that weren't handed down that probably should have been handed down. Here's my big problem. Kevin Harvick had that that race won, correct? Pretty much, yeah. You would think. Austin Dillon had an obvious issue with his car, correct? This is correct. Yep. He had plenty of time to get it off the track and onto pit road and chose to stay out. That's probably what Pop Pop told him to do. (laughs) So if you stay out on the track with a car that is not functioning... And yes. you cost another team the win. Yes. Shouldn't you get some sort of a penalty? This has been going on since the dawn of time, though. It's not like it's the first time it's happened. But it's manipulating. What, did you have Lenny riding on Harvick or something? Why are you so it's, hostile? It's manipulating the outcome of a race. But this is what they do. They've been doing this forever. Why? Why would you suddenly take offense to what Dylan did? Other well, than the fact that his hat usually covers his eyes, but that's another story. That's uh, too much hat. If, what, why is cattle. it so? Why are you so wound up about that? This has been going on forever. Because the yeah, penalties sure. don't. If, you know, if he was a, you know, a, I'm going to be a really good racer friend to all my friends on the track, and the minute my car sputters, I'm wheeling it right down the apron, and I'm getting out of everybody's way because I'm a nice guy. Nice guys don't win. I'm sorry. Well, here's... Listen, if if Dylan was driving for you, would you not make this guy do everything conceivably possible? It's, it's a battery issue, obviously, with their, you know, their cat-sized batteries. These guys have to go out there and try, at least even make an effort to look like they're trying to do everything conceivable to get this car rolling at uh, its normal rate. I think he did the right thing. You don't have to be an Austin Dillon fan or anything like that to realize this guy just did the right thing. I don't know. The, it, you, I don't know. know. Listen, it could have sputtered a couple times. You know, maybe who knows? 
and next thing you know, it's it's off and running again. I I, I do not begrudge a driver for doing what Dylan did. See, here, when I put it into perspective with the other penalties this week that NASCAR issued, I am totally confused about the sport. You had a guy in A.J. Allmendinger who was three laps down, okay? Not a contender to win. He had some loose lug nuts after the race. He gets a $65,000 penalty loses 35 points, and his crew chief is suspended for three races. And no dessert. Don't forget that. No dessert. Meanwhile, in the Xfinity series, you've got the winning car that fails post-race inspection. They give him a $10,000 fine, and they say that the win is encumbered. Yeah. But the thing is, you know... And they have said it over the last few years. The fact that that is not the premier series, that's the Xfinity series, the penalties are different. And, yeah, I totally understand this is an encumbered win. Until they start taking away the wins from these drivers, they're just going to keep doing this. And, you know, they'll do whatever they can get away with. And that's exactly what we're seeing. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but they keep their win. They're just going to keep doing it. And the race at Atlanta, there was almost no passing for the lead. You're just like a Debbie Downer over this. All weekend. Well, here's my problem. Listen to you. It wasn't just. You need something. It wasn't just in the Cup Series. It was in all series all weekend long. Three races worth of whoever got the lead on the restart got out to about a three or four second lead in a few laps. Welcome to the reality of NASCAR in the last few years. Is this good? I know. Is this good racing, though? I don't think well, it is. Well, why do you think they put in these artificial uh, stage deals? Why not just fix Hello? the cars? Why not why just not another, fix Well, they're never the going to fix the cars. You know that. This is why they have to have stages, caution clocks, hit the wire, have a mouse run across the track. It's... I don't understand it. It's like this Band-Aid on top of another Band-Aid. I get it. I don't know. I don't know why they're not doing anything more with these cars. You tell me. Yeah, see, I'm so confused by what I'm seeing because then we hear that in 2018, we are probably going to get a road course race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. We're not. They're not doing that. They are not doing that. Then why are they saying that they're widening the track? and doing all these safety enhancements to the road course if they're not planning on doing this. This was NBC Sports reporting this this week. Well, I heard all the talk this week about this, saying this was possible. They might be announcing this yesterday or the day before. And I was sort of had my ear to the wire, and I'm thinking, okay, are they really going to do this? And then I read that, They had no mention of that. Whether they're going to announce this further down the line, I don't know. But as far as I know, both races at Charlotte are going to be on the the big oval. Good. Good. Well, yeah, good. I am so glad because here's my reaction. I remember all these great finishes at Charlotte. And then I see the fans when this is announced saying, oh, that's great. Road course racing is great. We need more road course racing. Well, I don't have a problem with more road course racing when it 
happens on a road it's course. It's on a road course, yeah. I get it. I know, me too. Unbelievable. So yeah. just very confusing what we're seeing and hearing in the NASCAR news this week. And maybe I need another malarkey sandwich or something. I to think get you me in a really need mood. a double shot of malarkey sandwich with extra, I don't know, mustard or something. Speaking of double shots, we got a double header racing weekend there at uh, Atlanta yeah. Motor Speedway last Saturday. The Xfinity and the trucks on the same day. It didn't yeah. seem to sell any more seats. It, are these double headers a good idea or not? Well, it might not have sold more seats, but I think in the long run, it probably saved somebody a whole lot of money having this all compacted into one day instead of having a Friday night truck race, which it should have been, and then Saturday Xfinity. Um, I think they probably teams or just track workers, I think, this was a money-saving opportunity, and even though as a fan sitting at home watching, you might not have wanted to sit there for 11,000 straight hours and watched racing, but I actually prayed for rain. I thought, oh, God, if it rained, we could at least get something in, you know, get the Xfinity race in at night or something. That would have been kind of fun, but it would be a long day if you're a fan sitting in the stands or or just watching at home i just don't know how they can captivate people for for 10 hours in a stretch it's impossible it, it seemed like overkill to me it, it's and... almost like they've admitted okay nobody's watching nobody's here we'll just run everything in one day and get it over with it's like they just want to get it over with i did hear a track president once remark um that he could actually profit more off of an Xfinity and Truck Series weekend when Cup isn't in town by not having the grandstands open because it costs them more to run the facility than it's really worth in making an additional profit. They make all their profit off the TV. Yeah, that makes sense. It's crazy, well, but I'm not so sure that I love these double headers. But, yeah, uh, I was not a big fan of it myself yeah, at all. Very interesting as well. Well, Laurie Monroe, it is that magical time of the week. Oh. Wow. Yes, indeed, I hear folks. that, yeah. The segment's so popular, it now needs its own theme music. It is time. To blow up some stills, Laurie Monroe, tell the folks at home what this is all about. Well, to the folks at home, as everybody with a still in their backyard knows, they are under scrutiny by somebody probably wanting to shut them down, blow it up, etc. Well, we're blowing up somebody's still today, each of us, and uh, because something has irked us over the uh, over the weekend. And the fans can get involved as well. You do not have to be you know, coherent with how to use explosives. We'll take care of that part for you. Yeah, you don't have to be, you know, stirring your, your slop or anything. No, no. If something's bothering you. You let us know, and we may just blow it up for you here on the final inspection. So, Laurie Monroe, do you have a still that needs blowing? Yes, and its name is Kyle Larson. I just Ooh. don't understand what is going on with Kyle Larson? This kid is getting so close to winning, and then he just throws it all away. And I just, I don't know. It, uh, it's very frustrating to see somebody 
so close like he was last weekend in Atlanta, running his line, doing good, and then just basically seems to pull over and let Kozlowski get him. I don't get it. It's frustrating. If I was Chip Ganassi, I would probably be sending Kyle Larson to bed without dessert as well. <laughs> That's a good idea, and I could not believe. Like, did you believe what you saw? Oh, I. it was like he was throwing the race. It, it was. Yeah, I know. This, it, this seems to happen weekly with him right now, even though we're only two weeks into the season. It was as if he bet on Brad Keselowski to win. And, <laughs> and he wanted to make there's, sure it happened. my guy. <laughs> you know, this was – did he play him in Yahoo Fantasy Racing and <laughs> want to make sure he gets the bonus points? I mean, what was going on here? Let's see. Trophy, bonus points. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let Brad have this. Oh, my goodness. I could not believe how bad he threw that one away. It you just... know, maybe Kyle's been playing that uh, game, whatever that TV commercial is, where Logano, they think it's Logano oh, doing yeah. something. And it's maybe he's been playing that too long. That's a possibility. That's a possibility. Yeah. I'm just very confused by what I saw. It, it made no sense for him because all race long, he was not up on the high side. He Crazy. was racing it's on like the he low just, side. He slipped. He went back into his old routines. Yeah, it's it's, it's absolutely like got, crazy. He, and the thing is, when you listen to him on the radio, because they played his radio afterwards, it's like he just basically convinced himself that Brad was going to get around him. He oh, overthought yeah. everything. He yeah. Overthought. Yeah, it was just like a big oops. You know, yeah, oh, I, I didn't see that one coming. I thought he was, was going that was horrible. I I think you've got a good one there. Uh, my still blowing. I'm up on. Uh, I'm mad at NASCAR fans this week. You're always mad at NASCAR fans. But I'm really mad at NASCAR fans <laughs> well, this week. Okay. It, because the racing in Atlanta was not Atlanta quality. We used to see great finishes there. We used to hear about Daryl Waltrip and the old rubber band theory you know you can't get out to a big lead here at atlanta motor speedway because that old rubber band it just bring you right back to the leaders you know we didn't see any of that we saw guys in all of the series going out and dominating yet the fans are acceptive accepting of this being the new normal in nascar racing so i'm mad at nascar fans but it is the new normal, and the new NASCAR fans never saw Daryl Waltrip race. They don't even know he was a racer. They think he's a TV guy. Yeah, it, this is sad. We see great when highlights. When the last time you saw the rubber band? <sighs> it's like been about— half these people were born, Michelson. been at least six or seven years until we've seen Atlanta race like Atlanta. It's sad. But so they... who are you mad at, the fans or Atlanta? I'm mad at the fans for being accepting of allowing this racing to be the new normal. It, it, you know, my first reaction, they're saying, oh, we don't want to do anything to the pavement. Tear it up. Start all over. Put a jump on the backstretch. Do anything to liven this up because this race weekend, it's not Atlanta anymore. And that's got me concerned. But I have to admit. Kyle Larson's got me even more upset because you just need to be have that killer instinct to win these races, and he doesn't anymore. So I don't think there's any doubt Kyle Larson okay. needs to win 
this week. What do yeah, you think? He really does. He this kid needs to win. He needs so to win. So we blowing the, up Larson? He needs to win the race on Sunday, but right now he's getting blown up. <laughs> You're listening to 1057 the fan. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin, along with our friends at the Milwaukee Area and Napa Auto Care Centers. In just a moment, we'll be talking with Tony DeZeno from NBC Sports as the IndyCar Series is opening up their season in St. Petersburg this weekend. Of course, practice was yesterday. Practice was yesterday, and... Uh, a couple surprises uh, that the Scott Dixon, who switched over to Honda this year, is first. And uh, James Hinchcliffe was second so far in practice. Alexander Rossi, last year's Indy 500 winner, is uh, for his third quick. Max Chilton was fourth. And Sebastian Bourdais, who went over to the Dale Coyne Racing, was fifth. And he's been strong uh, in both uh, practices so far. And we're just dialing up Tony DeZena now, who was just in a media con uh, press conference just before. And uh, one of the things uh, that's coming out of the um, of the weekend so far in St. Pete is how the the st stability of the uh, IndyCar series as we uh, bring uh, Tony in now. Tony, welcome to the Final Inspection Show. Hello, guys. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I was just talking about uh, how Scott Dixon was uh, fastest in uh, practice number three. And uh, some of the younger guys, uh, Alexander Rossi and Max Chilton was up there too, as well as uh, Sebastian Bordes, who's, who's been quick all week so far with uh, Dale Coyne Racing. But uh, I just wanted to kind of bring up a couple of things that I, I think if there's one word that you can, that's kind of been resonating through the whole weekend in the IndyCar paddock, it is, is a stability, isn't it? It really is. And I actually just got out of an interview, like, no no more than 10 minutes ago with Roger Penske. And for the amount of stability, we had the uh, four major partners get confirmed yesterday, Chevrolet, Honda, Dallara, Firestone, all with multi-year extensions. And while the year wasn't listed, some of the ones that have already been announced for 2020. Um, so it's at least three, possibly more than that, once we kind of look at it. It's really a sense that there's a longer direction than what we've had for for a while. Yeah, it certainly is. And of course, he had a New York Times article that came out and basically saying, you know, hey, things are kind of looking pretty good for for IndyCar. We're seeing uh, reductions or in in several other series, and, and but IndyCar, the future looks pretty bright, doesn't it? At this point. I think so. I mean, we're all kind of waiting to see what the new 2018 car looks like and in the formal unveil, I guess you could say, of that and renderings and what have you is going to come in the next few weeks. But there's a sense that there's more here than what there has been in, in the past where we're not what, saying, okay, who's running the series anymore? Where are the sponsors at? Right. Where are the manufacturers at? I mean, we all want the third manufacturer. Everybody wants it. It's just a question of, from a timing standpoint, we're already in March of 2017, so you have to get something track tested, built, and going i mean 18 that makes it a stretch so kind of 19 is kind of already starting to be the next logical time frame for that but uh yeah it's a good vibe in the paddock it's, it's hectic i mean there's a lot of people here and it's interesting you know of course nascar had the wall street journal article a couple of weeks ago 
going to the Daytona 500, now IndyCar gets a New York Times article, and it's all of a sudden this, okay, there's national buzz, which is a, a rare thing, but a good one. It is, because it seems like for, you know, last 10 years or so, you know, it was it was one step forward, two steps back. You know, we had reunification, and then there was to be a setback, and then, you know, we had you know, young drivers coming in the league and new, new tracks coming in. And then there would, there'd be a setback. And this time there, there's a build in the last year or two, there's been a kind of, everything's like, Hey, this it's finally working out, isn't it? There's stability. And I, going back to the top of the top of the interview where we just said that, um, all the races are locked in through 2018. I'd expect the schedule to be you know, May, maybe at the earliest, if not by, by June in the summer, it feels really good. I mean, it's uh, I've been covering IndyCar. You know, I've been a fan for 20 years. I've covered it for 10, uh, six full time the last few since 2011, 2012, and it's I, I can't remember a year where there's been less turmoil or controversy going into a year. Now, of course, some will say that oh, you need controversy to help stir ratings, get more people talking. But mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe we'll have that on track, and, and that's kind of the un- the great unknown, especially because Honda's been way better than pretty much everyone's expected this weekend and that's not something we had pre-written into the script you know it's like you write tens of thousands of words and all of a sudden if you don't see it then you're like oh okay this is this is what we had in mind yeah a couple surprises um i guess the, the quickness marco uh marco andretti who's been teamed up with uh brian hurt as as his race strategist was i i think is a big plus for marco he's been quick and then Unfortunately, he had an incident with his teammate Takuma Sato in the first practice, where uh, he had a pretty heavy shunt in, with in his first drive for Andretti Autosport. Yeah, Sato's had a rough go of it. Um, the test—he had a test accident in Phoenix uh, a few weeks ago. With that, lost the back end. He was on a qualifying sim, and then yesterday in first—sorry, uh, second practice—he his rear brakes locked up as he went into the corner. Brake temperature, brake wear and break uh, fade potentially has been a big talking point in the paddock this weekend. Uh, and for Sada, unfortunately, it, it looked like a mechanical issue. It didn't look like a normal type incident. He went off, he hit the wall, driver's left, and unfortunately where he hit was just past the tire barrier. So it's like, you know, what would have been a small hit was made a bit worse. But crew got the car fixed. He was back out this morning, although wasn't particularly quick. I didn't see where he, where he landed. But, uh, yeah, it's an it unfortunate start for him. But I like where Andretti's at. Uh, they made some big competition enhancements. They added Eric Bretzman, their new overall technical director. And you mentioned Hurd, I think. I mean, Hurd has known Marco since he was like, you know, 10 or something. So, you know, him and him and his dad raced together. And I think Brian has a way to bring a lot out of drivers, and that's kind of where he's at now and hopefully what he can do for Marco because I think I think the series is better when you have an Andretti and a Ray Hall up there. We've all kind of been looking for it. It's just a question of when does it happen. Exactly. And then, um, I mean – should we be surprised? But I, I, I guess in the end we shouldn't, even though he hasn't won. It's one of the few places he hasn't won at, and that's Scott Dixon. And it looks, uh, with the blue GE car, you know, it it's a total 180 from what we saw in uh, Phoenix with the plain white car, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it's just for this race only at the moment. They still haven't formalized the, the partner plan beyond this. Um, it's different times, but this has always been a bogey track for Dixon. You know, he's never won here. And there's always kind of the concern that, hey, if he starts strong, look out. You know, it's when he finally broke his duck at Long Beach a couple of years ago and he won the championship that year, it's not it's not an immediate harbinger, but it's certainly better than starting, you know, 16th or something. And you got to make up points. And you saw what happened to Will Power last year. It took him 
a whole season to make up the distance. And so uh, that, that's the value of a good start and something that if Scott Dixon gets this year, I think the fields would be very afraid the rest of the way. I think so. And then uh, some sad news in World of Motorsports. I'm just wondering what kind of feedback you've gotten down in the paddock down there, of course, is uh, the loss of John Surtees, who passed away yesterday at the age of 83, the only uh, world champion on two wheels and four wheels and won the Formula One championship in 1964 with Ferrari and was a, uh, had a, quite a few races over here, was a 1966 Can-Am champion also. Uh, have you heard anything about John Surtees or any feedback from any of the, the drivers? I saw a number of tweets yesterday on social media. I think part of the challenge of this weekend in St. Peter's, there's just so much going on. There's IndyCar, there's six road Indy races, there's probably World Challenge. And, you know, I don't think drivers are really in the mindset to be thinking about mm-hmm. a loss. That being said, somebody of Surtees stature, you know, I think we toss the word legend around a little too easily these days. And, and for what he accomplished, uh, really his grace too, and, and what happened to Henry Surtees, his son, when he had a, a very freak accident that, that killed him when a, a wheel came detached and hit it off his helmet. Uh, the way he kind of maintained and fundraised and, and kept the spirit alive with the foundation, he did a lot. And uh, I think it's, I think that'll probably be felt more once the F1 season gets going here in mm-hmm. Melbourne in a couple weeks. But I did see like Jensen Button and a couple others from the sports car world and maybe an IndyCar driver too. I'm sure I'm sure they posted about it. Just it, I haven't seen it. Yeah, and then uh, of course you mentioned the Pirelli World Challenge and. Uh, Kind of a rough go yesterday for uh, our guest that we had on last week, Ryan Eversley, who had an incident. And kind of a surprise. Tell, tell me who this new guy from Italy is. Yeah, two surprises because we don't usually hear of Ryan crashing. He's very usually clean driver. I mean, I, I can only recall two other incidents in the time I've been covering him. So that was a surprise, although the team got the car built. And then the kid that was on the pole for the first GT race this morning, Literally no one in the sports car paddocks heard of him. Uh, I mean, Calvin Fish is a respected broadcaster. He's done a great, you know, he'd never heard of him. My colleague, you know, once and former John DeGeese had never heard of him. We're all just sitting there. It's like, is this the Stig's Italian cousin or something? Uh, it shows because it's a kid that's never raced on a street course or rarely. You know, we he's in a yellow Ferrari and he gets the pole and he's actually misclassified. He should have been classified in the, the pro class. He was classified in the A class because they thought he was not. Uh, you know, they didn't think he was a scratch driver or something. They didn't realize he was good. Um, he got a little bit freight trained today toward the end of the race, but uh, definitely made an impression. And, uh, you know, that series is underway. They've had that race, and their second race happens after the IndyCar race uh, tomorrow afternoon. All right, Tony. Can you? Uh, we're we're, we're going to take a quick break. Can you hold on uh, over the break? Yep. All right, talking to Tony DeZeno, of course, of NBC Sports. Uh, you can check out his stuff on the Motorsports tab from NBCSports.com, and we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back and talk more IndyCar on the Final Inspection Show on The Fan. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove, driven by Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at the Milwaukee area Napa Auto Care Centers. On the Great Midwest Bank Hotline is Tony DeZeno. 
And uh, Tony, we're going to do predictions, and then we're going to go back to uh, Dennis Michelson and Lori Monroe. Uh, who, who's your pick this weekend for uh, the St. Pete Grand Prix? So initially, before the Hondas decided to go off and you know be speedy, speed demons, and a couple Chevrolet drivers I talked to said that you know there it's not it's not fake. Um, now it could be a head fake on their part. I'd gone ahead and picked Simon Pagano, the defending champion of the series, to finally get off the Schneid at St. Pete this weekend uh, for the championship. Since I think we're wrong, you know, wrong kind of the preview here. I have Will Power. Uh, winning that title, and I think Will is kind of in a situation where he's either going to have a boom or bust year, where he wins the championship or the whole fatherhood thing takes his not takes his hold, but kind of you know changes how how he races. Um, that being said, I've been so impressed with what the Honda teams have done because again, like I said, I didn't see it coming. I'm going to go out on the limb. I'm going to go Sebastian Bourdais because we've been saying he's going to win a race Ooh. or two with uh, Dale Coin Racing, and he's been just kind of laying in the weeds. And I think with some strategy. I, I I think he can win this thing. For the championship, I'm going to go with Joseph Newgarden. I think this kid is just going to come out, hit the road running, and he is the next star in this series. How about Vegas? you have anything for NASCAR race in Vegas? Cool. Um, I'm going to say Joey Logano gets his first win of the season there. Uh, that's a track Team Penske's always run well at, and you know, I don't expect Harvick to bounce back. Maybe he does, but, you know. You know me, my action team in the open side, <laughs> side of the Bears. So, uh, but yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, it'll be fun to watch because usually, with it being a West Coast race, it'll be a concluding what after. We have an early start for the St. Pete race at 12:30 Eastern Green Flag, so 11:30 uh, in Milwaukee. All right, very good. I'm 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 going to go with uh, Ryan Blaney. I'm going to take a flyer on that one. Ooh. There's somebody else, a Facebook buddy of ours that we know, who's pretty knowledgeable. He's good at East. He, he, he put his money on Ray, uh, Ryan Blaney, so I'm going to go with that. I like I like that pick too. He's been he's been running well so far this Very year. Much so. Tony, appreciate yeah. it, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. I'll we'll right. be in Sebring next week for the 12 hours. So Excellent. Oz a party down oh. there. All right. Well, thank oh. you, Tony, and uh, make sure to check his uh, his latest at NBCSports.com. Go us. Uh, Go to the Motorsports tab up on the top, and you'll see all of his good stuff there. Now let's continue with Dennis Michelson and Lori Monroe from Race Talk Radio and get the latest NASCAR from them. Welcome back to the final inspection. 105.7 FM. Dennis and Lori talking NASCAR on a Saturday afternoon, and it is time to hit the NASCAR news items of the week. The big news, NASCAR and Sirius have extended their agreement through 2022, a long extension for the Sirius guys. That's long. I guess... uh... I guess I'll have to be renewing some more uh, equipment in my future at some point. <laughs> I can't it's... tell you how many serious receivers I have in different states of uh, different repair. Yeah. It's crazy. Good. good for them. But a long, long uh, distance uh, agreement here for another five years for NASCAR and Sirius. I was kind of wondering where that would go now that there's only one satellite uh, radio group but uh, definitely did get done. Also in the news, well, the uh, NASCAR folks out in Las Vegas and the big announcement this week, 
Vegas will have a second race starting next year in 2018. New Hampshire lost their date. Um, I don't know, Laurie. Should New Hampshire fans be worried that they might be going the way of Rockingham and North Wilkesboro? I don't know. I think maybe like we saw what happened at California, having just one date, I think, could just up the attendance, make it even a bigger show than than trying to spread it over, spread it out over a couple. I know it's never good to to lose a date, but it could make the 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 date that's left stronger. I don't know. It. Uh, I think Vegas, of all places, to have a second date is probably as good of any it's a triple header i guess like uh like what they've got going already but um it's it's an interesting place if it's got bad weather which is like suppose a rarity fans can go watch carrot top there's a lot to do there there you go and uh, i think they will hold on to their one date in new hampshire but yeah. $2 million in new sponsorship, um, this was a no-brainer decision on the business side for sure. Speaking of business, Business Insider ranked Danica Patrick as the eighth highest paid female athlete in the world. Wow, that's a lot of uh, biscuits you're not going to get. She's ahead of Ronda Rousey. The, okay. the beat them up until they stop bleeding and can't <laughs> take it anymore. The top seven female athletes in the world, all tennis players. One is the players. Williams, right? All tennis players, and Serena Williams yeah. leads the list. Yeah. Were I you, figured she'd have to be up there. Were you surprised that Danica cracked that list at number eight? Um, You know, I probably would have assumed she'd be in the top ten. Uh, you know, good for her. I think that's a great thing, but um, that's that's pretty big, you know. It is She's a, a big, big deal. Name. That is a big deal, and yeah. And what is really Im- impressive is next to tennis. Like there were other tennis stars that didn't make it ahead of Danica, including Serena's sister, um, right. finished behind Danica Patrick. All the rest, tennis players, that really surprised me that there wasn't another type of athlete in there, maybe a soccer player or something. Well, yeah, but excuse me for my ignorance, but what other sports are women really in since I don't follow anything? Well, there is a pro basketball league for women now, but they get paid but much, they much less. Mu- paid multi-million dollars. Oh, there'd be golf. What about golf? Yeah, there'd be golfers, but there apparently none cracked the top ten list. But they're are all you serious. All tennis, and I thought maybe a few track and field stars, but it's not an Olympic year, so maybe that has huh. a has an effect there. But you're right. It, there aren't a lot of really, really popular women's sports that would pay yeah. off big time. So. so all you parents out there, you better get your little daughters tennis rackets or a racing helmet. Very good advice, Lori Monroe. Just, you know, unlike my parents who didn't listen to me, just leave the horses alone. There you go. <laughs> a, a cost center versus a revenue center every time. <laughs> Smart business decision. Also in the NASCAR news, the NASCAR Hall of Fame announced their five new nominees to be added to the list. 
and still no smoky eunuch. I know. That that is just it's shocking, but then again it's not shocking because I truly believe that before Smokey Eunuch is even given the the time of day, they're gonna let in everybody who's ever made one start. They're going to let in everybody who's ever sold a hot dog at Martinsville. They're gonna let in some fans because I just don't understand why when they're trying to celebrate some of these innovators like Ray Evernham and all that group, why, oh why, why can't they let Smokey Eunuch at least be considered? That's just craziness. It, it doesn't make any sense, and it just looks petty. It start, and I don't mean Richard. It just is looking really dumb at this point. I can understand if you didn't want him in in the first 20 or whatever you want, but not even to have him on the nominee list when he is on every single video oh, yeah. of, of any driver in the Hall of Fame from that era, it, it just makes no sense. And this isn't taking away from five very – well-deserved nominations, Joe Gibbs, Roger Penske, Red Farmer, one of the Alabama gang, another one of the Alabama gang, Davey Ellison, and Bobby Labonte all on the list, um, all worthwhile nominees. There's not a single one there that I, I don't think belongs on the list, but they got to move over and make room. Somebody's got to make room for Smokey Eunuch because he should have already been in the Hall of Fame, let alone yeah. not even on the nomination list. Yeah, before there's no more people left on the planet, please, oh, please, just listen to Smokey. Get past whatever he did to tick you off, NASCAR, because that's the only reason. Well, Laurie Monroe, Viva Las Vegas for the Cup Series this weekend. Who is your pick to win? My pick for Viva Las Vegas, I am going to go with Matt Kenseth. Matt Kenseth, and I'm going to pick your guy that you've been picking each week. I'm going to pick Kevin Harvick. He's you got go ahead. to get lucky one of these weeks. But Ken Har Kevin Harvick is my pick at Las Vegas uh, versus uh, Matt Kenseth. So two very, very good picks indeed. Well, folks, that's going to do it for the NASCAR segment here on the final inspection, but don't you go nowhere. Mr. Steve Zotke will return. You're listening to 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin, along with our friends at the Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Centers. Our buddy Eddie Lapine was at the Amelia Island Concourse, which is just north of Jacksonville, Florida. It's one of those events that I think everybody should do at least once. Uh, it's a great event put on a put on up by a group there that's, that's dedicated for the community outreach uh, hospice organization. I think they raised about two and a half uh, million dollars and B Bill Warner and his group down there always puts on a great event and a lot, lot of things to do down there. There's, there's auctions down there. There's about three or four auctions down there. There's a lot of dinners, 
black tie stuff going on. Adam Carolla is down there doing a, uh, uh, a symposium on, uh, on Japanese race cars and whatnot, and he, which he owns a, a bunch of uh, uh, Nissans and Datsuns and the Paul Newman that uh, Paul Newman raced. And uh, he had John Morton and Sam Posey, Tommy Kendall, and those guys down there. And it's just a lot of movers and, and shakers down there. And uh, Eddie was able to catch up with uh, Ray Everham, and we're going to play this the Ray Everham interview now. And then uh, after the break, we'll play Derek Bell, one of the great uh, championship uh endurance drivers who won Le Mans five times and has won in pretty much everything he's raced with. And he's always an interesting interview. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, hear Eddie Lapine and Ray Everham. It's Eddie Lapine at uh, the 2017 Amelia Island Concord d'Elegance with Ray Everham. Uh, Ray, you're here showing some cars this weekend, judging, eating lunch with your family. Uh, how do you find time to do all of this this weekend? Uh, you know, it's 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 a busy uh, busy life, but this is one of the events that stay on the calendar year round. It's uh, it's our one of our favorite events. I've been coming down here from since 2009. Actually, bought a place down here on Amelia Island specifically uh, to be close to this event. So Bill Warner and his folks do a great job. I don't know of many places uh, in the world where you can see such an eclectic collection of cars and people and uh, we've made a lot of friends down here but as you can see it's a beautiful day today and uh, you know there, there's there's cars on the field that honestly I've only seen in magazines and heard of and I've been around cars my whole life so it's amazing there's probably 50 or 60 thousand people walking around out there right now. Yeah this has really Bill Warner and his cast of people have done an amazing job with this show I've been coming since day one and uh, it is amazing. Every year it's amazing. Last year you brought Mario Andretti's Dean's car and to the show and showed that. Uh, it was an amazing uh, trip to get that car ready and you built it from the ground up. Well, we, we you know, that, that uh, car is a pretty amazing car because we had to buy actually uh, three different parts, pieces, cars to, to get about 85% of the original chassis and the car, some parts that Mario took his rookie test in in Indy in 1965 and then won uh, 65 championship, 66 championship, finished second in 67. So uh, the car was actually reassembled by Jim McGee, who was one of the original builders at Clint Bronner's shop and one of the original members of the team came here and actually not only took best in class, but it took the Bill Hill restoration of the year. We were really, really uh, proud of that because, uh, as I said, there were so many of the original parts, we really kind of just had to clean them and put them back together, and including one of the original engines that were in that Brauner rotation. Uh, it was a four-cam Ford built by Joe Bogosian. We had Joe Bogosian rebuild it. So a lot of the original members that built that car in 1964 and 5, because they built, they started building in 64 and it was ready for 65 in Indy, but had several of those people either involved in finding the parts or actually work on the car. Well, what, what gave you the bug to get involved in the Indy cars? I mean, what was your attraction? I mean, just history, racing history. I grew up wanting to go Indy car racing. I, I actually ended up in stock cars by accident. Uh, went to work for Roger Penske 
because I wanted to drive his Indy car and worked at the IROC series with Jay Signori and met a lot of stock car guys. But really, it's it's more about the racing history. We've got Indy cars. We've got some really cool vintage drag race cars. I've got some cool stock cars. Uh, it's really about automotive history for me. But Indy was always a magic place. Mario Andretti being from Nashville, Pennsylvania, not too far from where I lived in New Jersey. You know, A.J. Foyt, the Unsers, those were the guys we knew because of the Indy 500 being on radio, being on television. It was really the only way that we could uh, could, could be associated. And stock car racing hadn't really quite come into its own when, when I was growing up. Uh, but as I said, so th these things, um, having a car that Mario took his rookie test in is magic to me. So one question now with Jeff Gordon going up into the booth, uh, what, I mean, he's doing an amazing job. I got to say that. I've, did he call you maybe to get some pointers or, or has he done his homework and... Well, Jeff and I have talked a lot. You know, we've continued to talk even through one of the years we weren't working together. And now that he's back at Hendrick, I'm back at Hendrick, and we're doing some things together. We talk. He didn't specifically call me to talk about that, but we talked several times about it. And I knew he'd do a great job because he, he's able to point out things from up there in the booth that, you know, he's very current. Uh, certainly, Mike Joy's an amazing play-by-play uh, uh, -play guy, and it's good to have Daryl up there for the color. But Jeff brings just just that focus or that that point of view from recently having driven the cars and I think it's really amazing the things that uh, he's brought to the booth. Do you think NASCAR's direction, I mean there's talk now about them going to Vegas a second race, um, why don't they do more road racing? I guess that's my question because uh, you see how popular it was at Road America um, last year, I mean, the Infinity has been running there for a few years, and they're getting record crowds for the Infinity Series races. And IndyCar went back to Road America last year. And why, is, I mean, what do you think? Do you think that would be a good direction? I, I, I do, but I think you'll, you'll find throughout the years, you got to remember, stock cars weren't that popular on the road course. So, you know, we enjoyed it. We wanted to run. You know, I've always told me to run more or less because you have to have all kind of special equipment to do it. The, and stock car racers weren't very good road racers. Now, as time has evolved, our cars have gotten better on the road courses. Our drivers have gotten better on the road courses. The road course races are some of our most competitive events, and they're popular. So I absolutely think you'll see NASCAR moving more in that direction. But I think it's an evolutionary thing where it just wasn't that popular. It wasn't the right place for us. And now they're starting to see that our guys are, are good road racers. Our cars are good road race cars. Our technology is there to be able to build it. And the fans, the fans are enjoying it. So... I, I absolutely think you're going to see more road races on the NASCAR schedule as well as possibly a road race being put in the chase. You would think that they would go that route when you see the crowds that they get at Infinity races and even at Watkins Glen for the cup race, you know, same as well. You know, I mean, that they're getting people there because you see the attendance as dropping. I mean, at the oval races. Well, believe it or not, attendance was up at uh, at Indy. Um, was definitely up at Atlanta. So, you know, television ratings have gone a little bit flat, but it's flat across all sports, not not just NASCAR. So, the good news is, 
you know, not you know, television ratings are down a little bit, but social media and streaming and all other forms of, of viewing are, are up as well as attendance. So I think NASCAR's uh, on the on the upswing coming back, and you know, with the new technology that they're putting in the in the cars now and the computers and all the things that they're doing, I think people are getting getting more and more interested in it. But I think all motorsports in general has got to change direction and know that uh, if people are going to turn on their televisions or they're going to watch on their phones or computers, there's got to have an entertainment value. It's still got to be a sport, but it, it's got to have an entertainment value. And, and uh, just trying to, to stay on top of all that is, uh, is, has been an evolutionary process. And I think NASCAR is doing a good job. I think that uh, you know, you'll see more and more races going out west and being on the road course. And the TV show, new season, new things? Uh, Americana, we only did four shows this year. We just had one air Thursday night about the Mario Andretti, Bronner Hawk. Great show, one of my favorite shows. And we've got three more. We built a car with Dale Jr., a lot of fun. Uh, kind of snookered a guy into racing us and called in a pretty heavyweight driver to, to handle that. You'll have to watch that show. We did a show on rebuilding the American Graffiti car, which is a car very, very personal to me, how we really painstakingly put that car exactly like it was in the movie. Found the car, and it was sitting, uh, you know, the, the same guy had it for 43 years, bought it from George Lucas Films, so really, really original car. And then we actually do a little bit of SVRA racing. We got my man Bill Elliott to drive a Corvette with me out at, uh, at Indy on the road course and have a little bit of fun. So we're hoping to keep Americana going. Uh, I really want to stay true to racing. I don't want to do scripted television. I don't want to do all that drama. I don't want to do those things. I want to tell good, solid, historical racing stories, and hopefully we can, uh, hopefully we can, we can uh, get uh, either stay on velocity or, or, or get us a network that allow us to do that. Well, I think Ray, um, maybe you could have a reality show. I mean, really. I mean, uh, my my life's kind of plate. boring. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. Well, Ray, Ray, we appreciate taking the time to do this interview, and uh, we look forward to the new show. Great, thank you. Thanks a lot, right, Ray. No I appreciate worries, it. No worries. Appreciate it. No worries. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Driven by Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm live here at Amelia Island this year with Derek Bell, and uh, we're just sitting here reminiscing about the old days at Road America. Uh, Derek, uh, can you shed some light or maybe remember maybe a little fond story about Road America? Well, I went there quite a lot. Um, I don't think I drove single-seaters there. I don't think I drove Formula 5000. I drove a few races. But I remember one of the first times I went was to David Hobbs was driving the Carling Black Label Can-Am car at the Can-Am race at Elkhart Lake. And it somehow coincided with the fact that um, the Indy 500 had been rained off, as it invariably happened. So he couldn't do the, our race at Elkhart Lake, or his race. So he asked me to stand in and drive the Carling Black Label car. And the first time I'd driven the Can-Am... Actually, I lie. No, it was the second time I'd driven... Um, uh, another one before that, um, which was a, not an M8F, it was like a G, an early one, M8 or something, very nice little car for Lothar Moschenbacher, <clears throat> but that was at mid-Ohio. So I went to drive this big car, the proper sort of M8F, whatever the top, 
uh, of the tree McLaren for um, David, with David, or for David. And I met, unfortunately, because I hadn't qualified or anything, I had to start from the back of the grid. And, you know, to take that sort of car out on a place like Elkhart Lake when you you know the track but you don't know the car with all that power. I mean, the others, and it was only a 100-mile sprint anyway, so the others all take off and go, and I've no idea where I finished. I'm sure I didn't do very well. But that was my first ex you know, experience with a really super big car at Elkhart Lake. And, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, then went on to drive, of course, the, nine, the, the 962s with Giampiero Moretti and then, of course, prior to that with Al Holbert, of course, during that era. So I had lots of great experiences. I think we won... The, I know we won the 500 once, um, Al and I did, at Elkhart Lake, and then I drove with David Hobbs in the BMW North America. It was a 320 turbo flyer BMW, and we didn't expect to win it because it's such a fast track. And I remember we, the, probably my best memory was driving that little car there and suddenly finding ourselves winning it. But it was super fast, but we never thought it was quick enough, you know, to have the legs on it to, to blow everything off on the straights. But it was so good around the corners. So that was quite a big experience for me. The one quick question, uh, were you faster than David Hobbs, I guess? Always, yes. Yeah, okay, because you know David is going to probably give us another side of this story. But uh... No, uh, <clears throat> I have to say... Um, I don't know if I was or not. David was a hell of a driver in that car. But, you know, I supported him, I think, pretty well, in, in all honesty. And I never looked at times. It would be very, I mean, I never... You don't know what a guy has done during his two-hour stint. And it was, a, it was 500 miles. So in his two hours, we probably did three stints overall between us. And, uh, you know, you don't study every lap. You're only interested in the pluses and minuses on the trials behind because it's not totally relevant. He might get rain. He might, you know, you have old tyres, which you need, you need to freshen up. So I, I never, I mean, I'm, afterwards, if somebody said, crumps, Derek, you did some really quick laps, well, I might have noted it and go, wow, did I really? I didn't know that. Well, I mean, with David, who was the first one to the, have a bratwurst, I guess? <laughs> well, David, yeah, I, I did used to like those. I have to say it was very special up in that area around Milwaukee and sort of have some of the grub you guys have up there. No wonder you all look fit and healthy. Yes, all oh, have definitely. a bit of a tummy. You, you have, you're pretty slim. Yeah, thanks, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. But <laughs> it, it's great to see you here, um, as always, you know, accomplished so much in, in the world of uh, sports car racing. What, what, what do you think of how it's changed now when you're looking back at when you won, you know, at Le Mans? Lamar is a different thing, like Daytona is a different thing, um, I have to say. Um, I, I, all, all I can really say is I think that us lot, you know, me and all my teammates, you need great teammates. I had lots of those fabulous team drivers. Uh, you need to have the best car and the best teammates, and you're going to do extremely well. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.